0: Well, the portion of God's Word that we want to spend a few minutes considering today and letting it inform and teach us in our lives is from Acts chapter 7. This is commonly called uh, Stephen's Defense or Stephen's Sermon. Uh, Stephen was one of the men who was chosen to uh, minister to the widows and the poor in Jerusalem. But he also was someone who was a strong defender of the faith. And as he was going about Jerusalem teaching, some of the people got upset with him. And they had him brought before the authorities to be interrogated, saying that he was preaching and teaching against the temple and against Moses. And therefore, he's asked to defend himself. And in doing so, he presents these words. Let's be standing as we read just the first seven verses of Acts chapter 7, where the high priest is going to ask Stephen, are these charges true? And Stephen replies, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he, was living st- while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. May God bless the reading of his word. Before we start, after first service, I had five people rush up to me and say, what was that word behind you? (laughs) Okay, They said I couldn't even listen to the sermon sitting there trying to, well I don't know if that was the real reason they didn't listen to the sermon but anyway, that is agape. All right, it's written in the Greek alphabet. It's an alpha that is not a Y, that's a gamma. The gust sound, agape, okay? Uh, Those of you who've taken any math at all recognize the pi sign, or really it's a P with the pus sound. So everybody got it? Agape. Say the word with me, agape. You got it, love. All right. You ever noticed how we guys can make anything at all into a competition? I mean, you give a couple of guys a rock, And within five minutes, they've developed some kind of competition of what to do with that rock and who can do it the best and who can do it the most times. Uh, I can remember in college, my roommate and I developed a game with a tennis ball and a strobe light. Uh, this was back in the psychedelic era, and we, you know, everybody had a strobe light in their dorm room. And so we'd turn the strobe light on, and if you ever sat in a small dark room with a strobe light, you, know, you just get flashes of light where you can see and then you can't. And we would throw the tennis ball, he would get on his bed, I'd get on mine, and we'd throw the tennis ball against the wall, and the other guy had to catch it. Which you know you couldn't really you'd see it there no there there and usually it hit you right in the nose at some time or the other and we'd see who the you know could catch it the most often never did stop to think what the neighbors next door in the next dorm room thought about our game but we played it for hours on end back when our staff was less mature than it is now back when we had Scott Yarbrough here we had a game at staff that uh, we would play in elders meetings. Where uh, Now, don't worry guys, I'm not going to re- be fully revealing here, okay? But we, we would select words, we'd pick a word for the day, and whoever in the staff could work that word into the elders' meeting won the prize, alright? And you couldn't just throw the word out there, you'd have to work the context around to where it fit. You know, Or it didn't count. You couldn't just say the word. And so we would work those in. And, and the last one was so perfect, we finally had to quit because no one could ever top that. And I'm not going to tell you what it was. But anyway, you know, we can make a competition out of anything. Well, I want to give you a challenge today. Here's the challenge, and I want you ladies to get involved in this too, even though you maybe not have quite as much competitive edge as we guys do. I challenge you to go home and to read Acts chapter 7 without your mind wandering away. Make it all the way through, totally engaged in the sermon of Stephen. It's a tough thing to do. It's tough to read Acts chapter 7 without your eyes starting to glaze over and your mind to just go wandering around in different places. And it's not like this is an unimportant scripture. It's not like you're reading some genealogy. You know. You, sometimes you're reading in the Bible, you've made a commitment, okay, I'm going to read uh, all the way through the Old Testament. So here you go and you're reading and you read some really interesting things and then all of a sudden you get to where it's like two chapters that are lists of names. And you think, well, I made the commitment, so you set your teeth, you, know, you just zoom right on through it and okay, I read that. It's, it's not like that at all. This is meaningful stuff. Because Acts chapter 7 is really one of the more key parts of the book of Acts. Uh, because the, one of the, the, the main things that Luke is trying to do is show us how the gospel was preached first in Jerusalem. And as he says, and I believe it's verse 8 of chapter 1, that then it was spread to Judea. And then it spread to Samaria. And then it just went all over the world. Well, Acts chapter 7 is one of the prime movers in that direction as the gospel has been kind of centered in the temple and the gospel has been centered in Jerusalem. And because of what Stephen says here in Acts chapter 7, everything sort of breaks loose and, the, and it goes out into Judea and then Samaria and finally ends up all the way in the last chapter in Rome, the capital of the world itself. So it's important stuff, but it's hard to read because it's so long, for one thing, and because it tells stories of things that we sort of already know, but primarily because it's really dealing with an issue that you don't deal with and I don't deal with. And the issue is this. These people back there that Stephen is talking to They had sort of exalted the temple of God to be God's ultimate work. You know, that when the temple was built, that that's God's interaction. That is the intersection of God and humanity. And there's nowhere else to go. I mean, that's it. It's kind of the ultimate work of God is the temple. And Stephen's point is, no. That God is moving on. That God is doing things now. That the best of what has happened wasn't back when the temple was built. The best of what God is doing really has nothing to do with this temple. God is at work out there. Whoa, now wait a minute. Maybe we can find a connecting place to this sermon. Maybe if we let it speak to us on that level. Not to listen about the temple in Jerusalem but to listen for where God is going and what he's doing and how we can follow him and be a part of what he's doing. I've said this before, but, you know, I've got about three or four things that I keep saying over and over because I need to hear them primarily. And it's this, that one of the key things about being a Christian, about being a disciple and really growing as a disciple, is when it's no longer about me. You know, we, we come to, to Christ and we come many times out of crisis or sometimes we've wandered away and something happens in our lives and we go, oh yeah, maybe God can help with this. And so we come back and we ask him once again. And it's always like, okay, I'll do this if you'll help me. You know, I'll do this if you will fix this in my life. That that I need this and, and I need Jesus in my life so my life will be what I want my life to be. And we got to cross over to where it's no longer, I'm going to serve God so that God will do what I need Him to do for me. But we're saying, God, here I am. What do you want me to do for you? Where are you going? What are you doing? Where are you working around me? Where can I be useful in your hands? What can I do to advance your cause and your kingdom? Well, Stephen's sermon, in a way, addresses that. And, and we're not going to do this sermon, we're not going to look at it in the deepest form, and we're going to sort of take a little slight uh, glancing blow at it and pick out some things that might help us as we desire to follow God better, and to realize that he's doing things. And what can we do to be a part of that? The first thing he talks about is Abraham. Now, we all know the story of Abraham. Abraham was living in Mesopotamia. He was living in Iraq. And God came to him and said, okay, Abraham, you're going to move. Uh, You know, I don't know how many generations of Abraham's family had lived in this same location. But God comes to him and says, you're going to move. I'm going to take you to a land, and I'm going to give that land to you and to your descendants. Now, that's the key right there. Because how many descendants did Abraham have whenever God told him this? Uh, Zero. And he was already really past the age of, of fathering children. He and his wife had been married for quite some time. And when God keeps telling him this, and they haven't had any children. And God says, you know, if you'll come and go with me, I'll take you to this land. And I'll give you the land. And I'll give it to your kids after you. And Abraham just keeps walking along and said, okay. Listen to verse 5 again. Of chapter 7. It says, God did not give him any of it as a heritage, not even a foot's length. You know, God kept saying, I'm going to give you this land, but guess how much land Abraham got? None. God did not give it to him, but he promised to give it to him. Abraham, if you stop and think about it, lived his whole life based on. On a promise. He never really saw the fulfillment of that promise. He just trusted that God was going to eventually do what he said he was going to do. Wow. How different that is from me at times. Where God, I'll do this if you will. Have you ever said that to God? God, if you will, then I'll. But God has said, here's who I am. And here's what I promise. Do we have strong enough faith to base our lives and to let our lives be shaped according to a promise that God has given? Now, as immediately as as soon as I say that, guess what that means? For one thing, you've got to know what God has promised. What has God promised you? Uh, Here's another challenge, guys. Read through the New Testament. We'll, we'll, We'll shorten it down just to the New Testament. Start today, start tomorrow, reading through the New Testament with this question in mind. What has God promised me? Not what did God promise Noah and what did God promise Abraham. What has God promised me? What is he telling me he will do? And do I trust him enough to base my life to set the direction of my life, to make the decisions of my life based on what God has said he will do for me. You know, one thing we'll quickly discover is that God never promised that our life would be very easy. (laughs) Do you ever read about these guys that were the great servants of God in the Bible? Yeah, they just sat around in their recliner with their feet up, watching TV all the time. They always felt good. You know, nothing bad ever happened in their lives because they were servants of God. And that's what God is for, is to make our life easy, right? You're not going to find that in this book, are you? If you know what God has promised, that's not one of the things he promised to us. He never promised that our lives would be smooth, our lives would be easy. But he has promised that he would give us the strength to face whatever may come our way. He has promised that he would give us his peace in our hearts so that when the whole world around us is going crazy, we can keep going and be steady, that we have the rock living within us. He has promised that he would put within us his joy, not giddy, happy joy, but just the purposeful contentment that we realize that life still has meaning even though everything is kind of crazy all around us. When we really start reading and asking the question, what has God promised us? Then we realize what it is that he said, I will do this. But then the question arises, will we live our lives based on those promises? Are we just going to live our lives reacting to what's happening around? Doug, thank you. You know, I realized I never did call you and tell you you were going to do that, did I? Thank you for covering for me. But what Doug said is something along the lines that, that I was really thinking of, too. And uh, it really just even occurred to me uh, between the services here. Uh, one of the most significant... Do, do you have those moments in your life as a disciple, uh, your life as a Christian, that, that you'll never forget? Uh, maybe it's a retreat experience. Maybe it's a time when you're just all by yourself. Maybe it's a time on a mission trip. But, but when you think back over your walk with God your walk with Christ, there's certain moments that just stand out and you remember every detail about them. Well, one of those happened to me in my den in Tyler, Texas, sitting in my big leather pink chair. It wasn't really pink, but it it was the 90s, you know. Anyway, sitting there and uh, wrestling with some stuff and upset about some things going on at church and this and that and thinking, well, what can God do? And it suddenly dawned on me, I started thinking about all the scrapes, all the mistakes, all the problems, everything that had happened along the way in my life, and how good God had been to me, and how much he had done for me. And I had to stop and say, you know, God, you don't have to do one more thing for me. You got me. You know? If you don't ever send another blessing into my life, it's okay. You still got me. It's not based anymore on what you do. It's based on what you've done. And it's based on your promises. And I know that you'll keep your word. Abraham shaped his life based on the promises of God. Joseph is the next story. He quickly tells the story of Joseph, just sort of throws it out there. and Oh, yeah, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. <laughs> oh, yeah, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. I don't know what kind of family you grew up in. I had three boys. Uh, we could tell stories about some of their interactions, you know, but yet two of them never got together and sold the other one into slavery. Thank you. <laughs> so you know, we, we thought at one time they might, but they didn't do it. You know, I don't know what kind of family situation, what kind of environment you grew up in, but but probably that didn't happen to you, but it happened to Joseph. And we sort of read past that oh, yeah, well, things are going to turn out okay. Uh, He didn't know that. (laughs) He's down in slavery for 30 years. He used to be the, the favorite son of a wealthy man, and now he's a slave for 30 years. And yet, if you notice, it says he was sold into slavery but God was with him. Another way that we realize whether or not we're truly following is do we really trust that he's with us? That he's here. That he has said he would be, it's one of those promises. You know, it's one of the promises he made. It's the last thing Jesus told his disciples as he was ascending into heaven. Don't worry. I'll be with you. Always. And it's a promise that applies to us too, that he is always there. And even when things go crazy in our lives, He's there. And like we talked about a few weeks ago in our sermon, we talked about how that we need to look for God, not only when times are good and say, oh yeah, God is doing this, but in the difficult times to look around and say, I know He's here somewhere. I know He's here. I know He's working. I know He cares about me. Where is he, and what is he doing? So just to trust that he's there, because he said he would be there, and that God is with us. Hurrying on, third example that he gives is Moses, and he spends the most time talking about Moses, but it's interesting how he tells the story of Moses, because he talks about Moses, and he tells his brief history of his life, but the thing he keeps coming back to, and he says three times in three different ways, that Moses faced opposition and rejection. Every time Moses thought that he finally was doing what God thought he ought to do, he then runs into brick walls that the people oppose him, that, that they push against him. In fact, the phrase that's used twice is that, that they try to just push him aside. Be forewarned that if you try to follow God and let him lead you where he is going, you're going to run into opposition. Your number one opponent is named Satan. Heard of him? what, What happened to Jesus the day he was baptized? Did he go have a party? Did he sit around thinking with his hands folded how wonderful all of this was? No. He was led out into the wilderness and there he was tempted. Satan came after him. I try to tell When I'm part of a baptism, and I'm up in this room right back there, and after the baptism, if it was a man and we're standing there together and we're praying together, I say, now, you better be careful because you're in danger right this minute because you once were a child of Satan. You're now a child of God, and Satan's coming back for you. He doesn't like losing his people. And therefore, whenever you make your commitment to God, you better hold on to his hand strong because Satan's going to come and he's going to do everything he can to get you back. And the really bad thing is he knows exactly where your weaknesses are. Wouldn't it be nice if he only attacked your strengths? I have a whole list of temptations that, that Satan could never get me on. They just don't, they don't care about those things, you know? You could just dangle them there in front of me and I could walk away and say, oh, I don't care, I don't care. But then there's this other list of things. And he knows that if he puts those out in front of me, Tommy's going to stop and think, I don't know, I do like that. We're going to face opposition. You're going to face opposition from the spiritual world. You're going to face opposition from the physical world. There will be people that reject you, people that oppose you. Know that. It happened in the life of Moses. You're going to face opposition in your circumstances. How many of you have ever made the, the pledge, I'm going to pray more often? And then you realize a week later that your week was just crazy. There was just so much to do, so much going on, and you just never got around to it. You you want to know God better. You're not going to get to know God better unless you spend more time talking with Him and listening to Him. Therefore, do it. But you know, the week just gets crazy. You're just pushed aside. Which brings up our last point, by the way. (laughs) This sermon's sort of going like this. Here we are, the last point. You Ready? The last thing he says to these folks is, you guys have settled down. God is a God who moves. God is a God who's always going someplace. And one reason you're not following him now, one reason you're missing out on what he's doing is that you're all nice and comfortable and you're settled in. Now, the way he talks about that is about how when God first gave them a place to worship, what form was it in? It was a tent, wasn't it? And the tent they just took, and the tent moved, and God himself would move the tent because his presence would go on before, and they'd go, oh, there goes God, let's pack up and go. And they'd move the tent, and there he was. So, But there came a time when you decided that you would settle down, and you built this place, and now you're comfortable, and you think all your spiritual work has been done. Well, folks, the day that you think that you have arrived spiritually, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's it the day that you're not moving spiritually, the day that you're not seeking to grow spiritually, the day that you can look back and realize that you're in the same place you were last year or two years ago or ten years ago, then it's no wonder that God has moved on without you because you settled down and you stopped. You sat down. Complacency is our enemy, and this is what had happened in the people of Stephen's day. It can happen to us, too. Do you wanna go where God is going? What if God is doing something marvelous in San Angelo, Texas right now, and we can't think what it is? (laughs) We just don't even know. Well, if we're people who are willing to live by his promises, if we are people who look for his presence and trust that his presence is here, if we are people who are not easily pushed aside and easily discouraged, and if we are people who are constantly moving and going with God, chances are when God decides to do something, we'll know it. And we'll be right there saying, let me help. Let me be an instrument of your will. We're going to stand we're going to sing a song. And I don't know where you are right now. Perhaps you're far away from God. If you are, some of our staff, our elders, are going to be standing around at the back, at the sides. Go find one of them. Let them help you begin to take those first steps back to pray to God for his presence, for his forgiveness, for his strength. And uh, just let us help you to come and to walk with him again. Let's stand and sing.